Welcome Cove Church to our service online. My name is Dwayne. I have the privilege and honor of being a pastor here. And I also have the privilege of being able to share out of James 4 today, a message I entitled, An Invitation to Submission. Now, before you start cringing at the word submission, <laughs> let, me, let me just ease your, your mind a little bit. It's going to be a fantastic message. It's going to be from God's heart to us, and it's not going to be uh, as tense as maybe you would think that it is. I, and I think that that word is so cringy for us sometimes because among the hardest things that we have to do to keep our faith in motion is in receiving this invitation that God gives to submit. Our culture would often view submission as a passive thing at best. You just fall in line, right? And at worst, something to be rejected altogether. You need to manipulate to get what you want. You need to, to lie to get what you want. You take it by force, right? And, and we rarely ask the question, is, is that the best thing for us? And we're hardly ever challenged in our thinking around it. But is it the God thing for us? And we see this all around us. We see, we see uh, in these God-ordained institutions like, like marriage, like family, like government, and even the church, institutions that God has put in place to, to reveal his love, his mercy, his justice. These are often the institutions that receive the most rebellion and the most hatred. I watched as, as weeks leading up to uh, the elections, as family and, and friends, people, I watched on social media as they would have these dialogues and they would start blocking each other and it, and, and it just became a mess. And, and relationally, it was, it was fracturing relationships. And I, I found it odd because I could sit down and have sat down with many of these people and I know that they share the very same values, but they differ in how those values are expressed. And it's easy to look at this and say, there is just something wrong in our nation today. And many of these issues, James 4 is actually going to speak to. And James would come alongside us and he would say, hey, church, that these, these aren't just political issues. These aren't just relational issues. These are actually submission issues. So James is going to help us understand God's invitation to submission. And it starts with this point, that God invites us to a personal reflection. It's in James 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, What causes these fights and these quarrels among you? Don't they come from your own desires? that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We see that James, at, at bare minimum, he's calling the church 
to reflect on their own actions. And he does this in a couple of ways. He, he does this by asking questions, kind of a hypothetical, what causes these quarrels among you, right? He also does this by using the, the word you 17 times in just three verses. That's a strong finger being pointed at them, 17 times. Look, church, reflect, reflect on your desires. I just reflecting on this, I can remember a trip that I had taken to Disneyland and we went with a, a large group of people and there was a lot of pressure around this trip. We had many personalities going. I remember it was, it was my mom and dad's first time. It was my daughter's first time. And so I wanted this. My desire for this trip was that it would be a great experience for everyone. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and so what ends up happening is, is I start putting expectations on this trip. And, and if there's uh, a clash here or a clash there, you know, I, I'm going to let them know that, that it doesn't match up to my desire, to my expectations. And this kind of, this happened one day in particular where me and Jazz were kind of at odds and, um, and I'm giving some family members the cold shoulder and Mickey's like, hey, come get a picture. And I'm like mean mugging Mickey and I'm tripping princesses and I'm fantasizing about how we could trip this princess and, and drop an elbow on her. <laughs> it was not a good experience. Making fun of people in parades. And this, all this happened because of my desire for this to be a good time. It's ironic, isn't it? It's actually a little crazy. <laughs> and I hope I'm not alone in this. I hope you don't judge me for this. I hope that we can all look at our life and say, you know what? There was a time when my desires came between me and another person. And you see, the culture that James is actually speaking into it was not that different than our own. No, Rome had, they had occupied Jerusalem and, and kind of the Judean region. And, and there was political duress and civil tension everywhere. On top of that, the church was, was actually, they, they were isolated because of the persecution that was happening in that area. And they were scattered. So Rome, when they had taken over in this region, they had actually enacted a class system, much like our own, but a little bit more extreme. And the motto of the day is, is you are only as good as what you offer to society. So as a result, certain groups of people, they were being segregated, they were being uh, oppressed, and all the while, the rich were getting richer and oppressing the poor who were getting poorer. And you see, this, this clashed. This clashed fundamentally with the Christian perspective. Namely, in that God had, he had called his people to be a voice for the voiceless, to look after the oppressed to look after those who were segregated and, and that, that society had thrown out. And so what the church actually ended up doing, and many of the Jewish leaders at the time, is, is 
the religious conservatives, conservatives, they would start to form rebellions. They started to form militias and and through military force, they were trying to overthrow the Roman government. And why? It's, it's because their desires, even good as they may have been, it motivated them to kill and to covet what others had. In short, they were trying to bring about God's will in their own way. So what is the answer for us? It would appear, according to the text, that, that God actually has a relational standard. And James says you do not have because you do not ask God or you ask God with wrong motives. Maybe, maybe reflection is not what we have thought that it is to be. Maybe we've got this wrong. It seems as if God actually wants to be part of the conversation. He wants to be included as we reflect on our own desires and our own motivations. Which makes sense, right? I mean, any time that I just go into personal reflection mode, I find a lot of stuff wrong with me. And I'm, I'm my worst critic and I can judge myself very, very well. But what ends up happening is in order to fix this issue, I create more expectations on myself and it gets tiring and it's frustrating because I can never live up to even my own expectations. When I had first uh, come to God, there was a lot of things that he was working with me on. And, and at this point, there was something that was heavy on my conscience. This was a habit in my life that that he was, I knew he was asking me to put down. And I remember the day vividly. I was driving to work. It was a nice day. And I started to have this conversation with God. And I, I was saying, God, I know that you can take this from me. I know you can take it. Will you please just take it? And I remember he said back three different times, he said, do you really want me to take it? And I thought to myself, why is he asking me three times? <laughs> Three times he's asking me, do you really want me to take this from you? So I was confused for a moment. <laughs> but I actually came to the conclusion that no, I didn't want him to take it from me. No, that was a source of comfort for me. That was a, a source of control that I had in my life. But check it, like... The process of personal reflection, bringing him into that conversation, he, he was able to actually break the bondage of denial. He broke the bondage of denial and he set me on the path to deliverance, a path that I am walking on even to this day. And that is why God invites us to a personal reflection. That's the first thing. Here's the second. God invites us to a worldly rejection. Where in verses 4 through 6 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says that God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. There's strong language that James is using here, strong language to issue a strong warning to the church. James is saying not only does does being a friend of the world break your loving union with God, but it goes even farther to make you an enemy of his. Huh. To be a friend of the world is, is really about being in agreement with the world. And this agreement, it starts at the point that, that man is the basic given reality. So what matters in life? Me. I matter in life. It's, it's about my rights, my desires, my expectations. These are the things, this is the starting point for how I interact with the world. And, and this is in constant conflict with what James says, that the spirit that God has put in you, namely, God's rights, God's purposes. God's worth. And what James is saying is when we agree with the world that life is about my desires, if if I'm that starting point, then we come in conflict with God because at that point, it's not about his purposes and his will. There's a, a telling story in 1 Samuel, and it, it takes place over a few chapters, 1 Samuel chapter 8 through about 10, and it's actually a very powerful story as to how this, this mindset can play out in our lives. And it's all about Saul's rise to kingship. Israel was worried because um, Samuel was getting old in age. There was no one that was going to be able to take his place as the prophet. And as the prophet, you were the spokesperson for God, who was your king. He did lead you at this point. So they looked around to these other nations, and they said, well, these these other nations, they all have kings. So, So we want that. We want a king also. And it's interesting because God actually lays out some warnings for them. That if you go down this road, I'll, I'll give you what you want, but if you go down this road, these things are going to happen. And, and I'm just going to summarize for the sake of time, but I think it's worth noting these warnings. And you can find them, you can read them yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. But among these warnings were taxation, that, that money was going to be taken from you to go for the king's agenda. There, there was going to be drafting. So your oldest child would be, uh, your oldest male child was going to be taken to do the bidding for the king. He was going to fight for the king. There was going to be giving away of their land. And there was going to be giving away of their property. The, the best of their, their uh, harvest, the best of their cattle, those would all go into the king's service. And even their daughters. Their daughters would be taken to work in the king's palace. All the while, they would become slaves to this king. 
And you would think that at that point, <laughs> Israel would be like, uh, no, let's swipe right. Let's kind of move back, rewind. <laughs> God, we want to stick with you as our king. But they didn't. And in verse 18, God tells Samuel, tell this to the people. And he gives this warning. He says, you will beg for relief from this king, but the Lord will not help you. Wow. You know why they would beg for relief? Because they had replaced God as their king for a fallen man as their king. A shift had happened in their thinking and in their attitude. And that shift was they went from, from God's purposes, God's rights, God's worth to their own desires their own worth. It's like God is saying, look, if you put your hope in this world, it's going to leave you tired. <laughs> it's going to leave you exhausted. And I think, I think if we're all being honest, there's some of us that are really tired. We're tired of, of placing our hope in political figures. We're tired of placing our hope in doctors. We're tired of going to the same comforts and the same distractions. And we're tired of placing our hope in our own achievements. We're just tired. And James says that, that God is jealously pursuing the spirit that he has put in you, that he's made to dwell in you. Friends, this is the greatest news ever. <laughs> this news means that he's not going to settle for anything than what's best for us. And James says that there's, there's more grace. There's more grace for us if we, can, if we can humble ourselves and receive God's invitation to a worldly rejection. That's the second thing. Here's the final thing, that God invites us to a shared reception. Verses 7 through 10, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James is pointing out this amazing promise. He says to draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And then he ties our ability to draw near to God with a posture of the heart. He says that if you, you grieve, you mourn, you wail, you change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In some ways, these, these things actually produce a humility in us. So how does that happen? When I had first um, drew near to God, <laughs> when I first experienced Him drawing near to me, I was completely a wreck. I, I was ashamed of the things that I had done in my life. 
and my marked was uh, my my life was actually marked with a lot of things that uh, brought shame on me, brought shame on my family. I was on trial for a minimum 15 year sentence. And most of the closest relationships in my life were on the brink of completely being cut off. I was isolated, I was ashamed, I was depressed, and I was completely hopeless. But I invited God into a personal reflection time that I was having. And, and you know, it's amazing just how tired and weary from the world that I was. But God came to me and he said, will you let me take that from you, son? I want to take that from you. And I gave it all to him. I submitted to him. My heart's posture towards him, it was actually able to receive something for the very first time. Because, because I, was, I was grieving my sin. I was mourning the broken reality of my life. And I'll tell you that I've learned that that's not just something for back then. That's not a posture of the heart for then, but not now. No, that is a posture of the heart that, that we get to keep throughout our relationship with God. It's something that I need to walk in today. I need to grieve my sin even today. Maybe some of you are feeling tired. And will you let the Holy Spirit take that from you, even now? James says that God gives us more grace, and His grace is waiting for you. I would like to say that, that my struggle with the world had ended at that point, but it hasn't. And this is why James is actually communicating to the church. He says, he says, change the posture of your heart. Don't, don't lose sight of the grace that you have been given and don't lose sight of the grace that you need even now. And what God is calling us to today is this invitation to submit to him. And just by way of response, if you feel like God is tugging on your heart, and you want to respond to him and you want to say, I accept Jesus. I'm tired of, of what this world has, has imposed on me. I'm tired of buying into the lies and I want to accept Jesus. And you want to communicate that to us, go ahead and click the raised hand icon that's going to come up on your screen. And this, for all of us, this, this is an invitation to submit, to, to include him in our self-reflection, to, to participate in a worldly rejection and to receive this wonderful promise of more grace. Would you draw near to God? I'll wrap up with this. I believe more and more in these latter days that Jesus is calling us back to Him plus nothing else. He's, he's using COVID, he, he's using political duress, he's using uh, civil tensions, 
racial issues, family issues, to show that Jesus is the only thing that we have to place our hope in. He's stripping away all the comforts that we have, have used in the past. And I think we're gonna find that it may just be that these trials, this suffering that we are going through is actually designed for us to draw near to God. That we would find hope in nothing else but Him. To say, I choose you, Jesus. And listen, church, I, I believe wholeheartedly that if we accept this invitation to submit, that we are gonna see a grace released on the church like never before. There's gonna be more miracles. There's gonna be more giftings. There's gonna be more visions and dreams. So I encourage you, Cove Church, to accept God's invitation to submission and watch how he lifts you up.